Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Welcome to 2020. A whole new decade lies ahead of us when it comes to sports. And to that end, on last week's program, we talked about the, the unsettling changes that have occurred in youth and amateur sports over the last 10 years. And quite frankly, I, I ran out of time in discussing the, the various predictions for what the next decade will bring. So on this morning's show, I want to continue with our expansive conversation. That's just what it is, expansive, because if you're, if you're a sports parent and you have little ones who, and you dream about them going on to play sports in the next decade, well, you really have to be thinking about what's on the horizon when it comes to youth sports and what you can expect and what you can anticipate for your kids as they go about playing their various activities. And as always, I'm eager to get your thoughts and comments on this topic. I think it's a very important one, because if you think back on what happened over the last decade, and think about all the changes and and dramatic uh, complications that have occurred when it comes to our enjoyment, our kids' enjoyment of playing sports, I think you'll agree, who knows what's going to happen over the next 10 years. And as always, our number, of course, is 1-877-337-6666. Okay, just to to set the stage again, let's start, for example, with, with travel and club teams. I don't think there's any question that travel and club programs will continue to grow and to dominate in terms of their expanding power and in terms of what they will cost for your kids to play on those teams. But as we know, in pretty much every town in America, every town has has seen in the last 10 years this growth, almost like mushrooms overnight, of, of more local travel teams. That may sound like a contradiction, but you know what I mean. So many travel teams now exist in every town uh, in the United States. I think at the next few years, we're going to begin to see many of those local travel teams basically run by, by parents who decide to, to open their own little operation and to make sure their kid gets a chance to play on a travel team. I think we're going to see that the popularity of those travel programs are going to begin to fade away. But I think you're going to find that most of those travel programs, the local teams, they're going to be probably sucked up by the, by the uh, stronger and more financially secure club teams that become, in effect, the feeder programs. But I think that we're going to go back to a time where we just see uh, a few, only a few really solid big-time travel programs and club programs which really dominate uh, the map. And again, 
I think as uh, these travel club teams, the strong ones, continue to grow and flourish uh, in terms of their power, I think we're going to see that, unfortunately, the costs and the fees to be in those teams, they're only going to rise dramatically. And along with the rise of costs, I mean, parents have to dig deeper into their pockets. There's also going to be a sense of, well, if I'm paying a lot of money for my kid to be on this, on this travel or club team, I feel as a parent I should have certain rights and be entitled for my kid to do, be able to do things on this, on this club program. In other words, I'm telling you, I think the sense of parental entitlement is only going to get worse in the years to come. Okay, prediction number two. Let's talk about gene mapping. Within the next 10 years, I think we're going to see some ambitious sports parents who really have no problem whatsoever with their, gene, their kids' genetic makeup, not only to be determined to see what's the best sport for their kid to pursue, but also to do some gene replacement to help advance their kids. Now, I'm not talking about performance enhancement with PEDs or drugs like human growth hormone. That's all been done the last 10 years. Rather, I'm talking about gene therapy, and I'm hardly a specialist when it comes to this whole area of gene mapping and CRISPR and so on and so forth. But I do think we're on the cusp right now of finding out what parents are going to be able to do and to work with scientists to see, okay, my kid's a good athlete. Uh, what can I do to help improve and enhance their physical stature to become even better? N- let me give you an example. Science already knows, for example, that ACTN3, that's a positive indicator for, for leg speed and for fast uh, twitch muscles. Uh, there are already companies out there in existence now which are able to tell you that if your son or daughter is going to be blessed with loss of fast twitch muscles. And so if your kid, you know, whether or not your kid should be able to focus on those talents, that, that's a big, big deal. Because after all, if you have a kid who's, who has these fast twitch muscles, particularly in the legs, they should be thinking about playing those sports in which foot speed is really important. If, if your kid doesn't have fast twitch muscles, well, fine. Then they should probably turn to those sports which are not so dependent on foot speed. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just have to assume that going beyond this, that there are going to be scientists out there who are already working on gene replacement to help young athletes become bigger, stronger, and more competitive. You think I'm kidding about this? Well, you know, think how much the whole the the science of gene therapy has grown in just the last 10 years for medical improvements, and how much it's going to grow even more in the next decade. And you know, we come from a world where we know about there's always a lot of you know, especially uh, with Olympic athletes who are trying to find a way to to dope their bodies to improve their performance, and how difficult it is to try to to track these these doping uh, mechanisms down. I think, as I said, since so many things are happening now with gene replacement therapy, I have to assume this is going to continue more with our kids. It sounds like science fiction, but I got to tell you, it's a real concern, and I think it's something that we all need to be really focused on. Um, And if you're a parent, it's a tough question. If you have 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 a choice to make about whether or not your kid would benefit from this kind of stuff, would you then go and say, sure, I'll do it, or no, I'm not? I mean, again, we spent the last 10, 20 years talking about whether or not parents should have their kids uh, basically start school a year later than they should. 
so that their child can be the bigger and more physically mature kid in their class rather than one of the smaller ones. So this is all part of that same mentality. And I do think we're going to see some, some things popping up in the next 10 years. And again, I'm not, I'm not fluent enough in the biological sciences to be able to say this is going to happen. But I do have a sense that there's something in the mix out there, something in the, in the world around us where we're going to see some changes. Okay, now moving on from, from this. And again, I want to get your thoughts about that as well. Here's a, a very important point. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but traditional sports like baseball and football, I do think they're going to have an increasingly more difficult time in attracting the next genera- generation of kids to play those sports. I mean, let's be honest. With, with football, we know, of course, about concerns about, about concussions and so on and so forth. But and also you combine that with the fact that kids today have growing up with uh, video games, e-games, and they love the instant gratification of those of those video sports. They do not want to be patient to try and learn difficult skill sets like you have in baseball or, for example, in softball. And I do think this is going to be a real concern. And honestly, Major League Baseball, you're going to have to really start to think long and hard about how you're going to attract the next generation of young fans. For example, along these lines, I'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about. You may have heard uh, in some sports reports that Major League Baseball over the last few months has suggested that the number of current minor league teams, minor league teams, be cut back by 42. Well, that's about a third of all the minor league teams that are out there. And the reason that Major League Baseball is putting forth is that they don't feel these these teams, uh, the facilities are up to snuff. Well, that's kind of a smokescreen from my perspective. They're doing this because they want to save money. Remember, in the minor league towns across America, it's the big league club that pays the salaries of these players, not, not the local, uh, local ownership. But critics point out, and I agree with this, that for most baseball fans, being able to take your family to a minor league baseball game, which is our, basically are affordable for most families, Well, that's where the original attraction for the game begins with the next generation. So if you start to cut back on those minor league towns, you're basically undercutting your future fan base. If there's no minor league baseball in your town, why would you become a baseball fan? I mean, this, this, is, this is what we're looking at in, in the, uh, the next 10 years. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't know how this is going to play out, but it's not a good sign for Major League Baseball to be saying, let's cut, let's cut our minor league teams at the grassroots level, because that's going to make it more of a dent in basically uh, eliminating baseball as an attractive sport for young kids. Okay, let me, let me take a pause. I've got a lot more to cover here. I want to get your calls and thoughts as well about the next 10 years. A lot of things are going to change. Not necessarily for the better. Some will, but not all. Okay, one 337 6666 Seth Cantor is here this morning. He has your update. When I return, we'll go to your calls. And back here on the Sports Edge, I've asked the question, what, what is going to happen to youth and amateur sports over the next decade? And, you know, we have saw so many changes, so many things uh, go in unusual directions over the last 10 years. I can only imagine what's going to happen in the, in the decade to come. And I just went through a few examples. I have more to throw your way. But I, I think there's going to be some dramatic changes in store. And if you are a, a sports parent and you have a youngster who is, I don't know, three or four or five years old and you're looking upon, gee, I'd love to have my kid play sports uh, and be a good athlete. 
you have to be aware that it's it's there's no roadmap out there there's no guidebook you have to understand that this is going to be complicated stuff a lot more complicated than it was when you were growing up and a lot more complicated than it was when your grandparents were growing up so let's 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 talk about this let's let's take some calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six let's start this morning uh with tim over in eastchester hey tim good morning you're on the fan good morning coach Coach, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you, how, Tim. You too. How about your nationals giving you an early Christmas gift? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Coach, having two daughters playing high school sports, your topic's always relative and on point. But there's that one underlying theme that I think ties so much of this together, and that's the $17 billion that is spent on youth sports. Yep. I believe it's not a game changer, but a landscape changer. And unfortunately, I don't think there's any panacea. I know you think a, a commissioner might be a, a cure-all, but I don't think that would address the monetary figure that you know is mentioned here. And for uh, Coach, if I may, I'd like to tell all your listeners, do yourself a favor and pick up the book by Coach Billy Mita Ratona, Last of the Redmond. You yeah. had him on several yes. weeks ago. The interview was phenomenal, and the book is equally as great. And if I may, Coach... I've been blessed. I've been transferred to Mount Vernon, and I have fell in love with the basketball high school program up there, coached by Bob Semino for the last 25 years. And I can't believe the incredible job he has done with the youth that come out of there. They're not only better basketball players, but they're better human beings. Well, Tim, maybe just a a comment very quickly. First of all, uh, Coach Bob Semino, the program at Mount Vernon High School, the boys' program, it's legendary, as you know. They've sent many, many kids on to play college basketball and a few to the NBA as well. That's a great, great program. Uh, as far as uh, Coach Billy Minotarona, you know, his book, Last of the Redmen, is one of the great inspirational stories of all time. And, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to have Billy come on the air last year and talk about how he basically said, I want to and eventually play college basketball, even though he never really made his high school basketball team. And it's just a wonderful story that, uh, you know, parents should share with, uh, with not only themselves, but obviously with their kids as well. But, Tim, I got to tell you, I, I, and you mentioned about the commissioner of youth sports, I think that's going to have to happen just because, and I mentioned last week in passing, I think it's first going to start as because nowadays with, with parents and their kids play and travel or club teams, uh, there is no oversight by the government. It's, it's all basically the wild, wild west. And if you aren't happy with your kid's experience and you want to get your money back or you want to do something to, to talk to, to the coach about it, you can't do that. It's not, it's not allowed. And you have no place to, com- to basically register a complaint. So I think it's all going to start with saying let's have some sort of uh, almost like a lack of a, a better term, a consumer reports place where basically people can go and say, this is a concern about this travel program or whatever it might be. And I think eventually what we're going to find is that it gets so complicated with these issues we've talked about, Tim, is that there's going to say, you know, the time has come for the, the, the federal government to say, let's get something in place so parents have some real direction as to how their kids should learn and be coached and be educated when it comes to sports. That does not exist right now. There are a lot of, you know, little spots around the country, websites, whatever, but there's nothing in place that says here's how the government and a team of experts really addresses this. So I, I hear you, Tim. I just think it's going to be difficult uh, to move ahead until that, that's taken care of. Simple as that. Anyhow, thank you, for, thank you for the call. Thank you for the good thoughts. Let's move on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Rob out in Lake Success. 
Hey, Rob, good morning. Rick, good morning. First of all, I want to echo the previous call. I've had a chance to talk with Billy and meet him once, uh, one time. Incredible book, and thank you for introducing that story to all of us here. It was just an, it's an incredible story, and yes. it just shows how you know people can, can, if they want it bad enough, they can accomplish it. Um, you brought up, you really lit my fire this morning when you mentioned about genes, and, and I've talked to you in the past. For the people listening out there, there's an amazing book written by David Epstein, who used to write for Sports Illustrated, called The Sports Gene. Right. And uh, it, it talks exactly about what, you know, what you just talked about. Is, is sports genetic? Are, are people or kids uh, you know, predispositioned to becoming an athlete in a particular sport, like the, you know, the African athletes, uh, marathon runners? Uh, um, it, they, they've actually done studies on that, and, and he's not 100% sure, but he's believing, he believes that it is genetically kids are genetically or athletes are genetically predisposed to participating or having their best possible sport. And I think down the line, the Russians were doing it back in the 70s and, and, and 80s, and picking the Olympians, they would have club teams and kids would try out and, and, and in the Soviet Union and in East Germany. That's what they were doing back then. And that's yes. how they built these incredible teams, uh, you know, back in the in the, in the Soviet days, uh, and you know, so this is nothing really new. But I think in America, Rick, you're going to start seeing this. It's going to happen because parents are going to get crazy. They're going to want to get find the best possible sport. And now that it's out there, and they're going to test their kids on genetics, what's their best sport? Uh, and they have to also throw in hand-eye coordination. And that's another thing with baseball. Why are the kids dropping off? Because when a kid can't, if they don't have the right hand-eye coordination to hit a baseball, which we know is the hardest. I guess, task in, in, in professional sports, then they'd be going to drop off and try something else. I just want to throw that out, and thanks again. You're, you're, you're the best, man. Well, Rob, you have a, you have a Rob, great weekend. Before you, Rob, before you go, I, I, I want to talk quickly. Uh, are you still there, Rob? No, we lost him. Okay. He mentioned a couple of good points. Uh, first of all, yes, uh, David Epstein wrote a book a few years ago called The Sports Gene, which basically talked about this phenomenon and the fact that the medical science has gotten to the point now where, yeah, they can sort of do genetic studies and DNA and see, you know, how kids are, uh, are going to be equipped for certain uh, sports as opposed to other ones. And, and uh, that that is... That is significant. Now, again, most people at the higher echelons of sports already know this, but the question is we haven't seen the manifestations yet. Now, there's another concern of this as well, which Rob talked about also. Back, back in the day, back in the 70s, when the Soviets and the East Germans, when there was an, when there was an East Germany, you know, were really were focusing on using uh, basically drugs, uh, anabolic steroids, whatever, to, base, to enhance the, the athletic performance of their, of their athletes. And the fact is, that still continues today. I mean, we know, for example, with the Russians, uh, you know, have been banned, you know, from the Olympics. This is still going on, this cat and mouse game of taking what drugs will, that they can use to enhance their performance, uh, but not getting caught. Uh, this continues, again, 30, 40 years later. I assume it's going to continue, but that's not the same as gene therapy. That's just taking drugs, uh, you know, PEDs, to, to change or to enhance or elevate you, what you can do when you compete in track or field or other events. What, and again, how many times now, finally, ma finally, after years, Major League Baseball, for example, finally got its act together and is now testing for all these various substances. And, you know, ballplayers are getting caught, uh, you know. 
And, and of course, I, I will tell you, I, I know uh, of kids whose parents said, you know, I want my kid uh, to take human growth hormone because I don't want my kid uh, to be left behind or considered just of average or less than average uh, stature. And so they look at it as a medical uh, improvement, have their kid get bigger and stronger by taking HGH. All these things are around us. All these things exist. And if you're a sports parent and you know and you read the papers and you read the, the websites and you read online stuff, you know that these are options that are available to you. And quite frankly, if you're, if you're a sports parent and you want your kid to be a superstar, you're going to be tempted about all this stuff. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, 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 again, I don't know where this is headed. I don't know how this is going to change, but I do know this is a real concern. Um, let's, um, Let's move on. Let's go to uh, our friend Jack over in Fairlawn. Hey, Jack, good morning. How you doing, Rick? Um, you know, listening to your, your monologue, you're, you're scaring me. And, <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's weird because we're talking about all these different things, analytics, what it's doing to, to baseball and, and even businesses today and how everything's being evaluated. You know, I had a, I, I had a, um, the other day, I had a, one of my hitters come in who uh, just got a new bat for Christmas. It was close to $600, this bat. And, you know, I mean, that was more than I spent on my wedding, for God's sake. But <laughs> what's happening is I, I read something about the youth sports. And in all the changes that you've talked about, I think some of the things that are going to be changing drastically is that now that there's gambling being legalized, it's going to open up the doors uh, probably every within 10 years, probably every state will be it'll be legalized, generating uh, many, much, much more um money for each state, hopefully going to back towards youth sports like they do in um, like they do in the other uh, other countries. Um, one of the other things is the top athletes getting paid. Um, you know, I think within 10 years, athletes will not only get be getting paid for their name. I think possibly it's going to diminish the value of the NCAA and they're going to start getting paid for their performances. You know, you talked about esports. Oh my God! You know, now um, more schools are jumping on board. More scholarships and colleges are being given out because they think that these e games actually generate ge uh, genius in kids, and it, and it takes you know it 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 shows what kids are are really smart when it comes to the computer, and these kids will probably be getting into the analytical part of it. But where I I did I just read a study. On the uh, on the computer about what it costs, and I think the biggest change and what's going to hit more people, more parents, is what you opened up the show with with uh, club ball. Yep. And the cost of they this study said the cost of putting one child through a club sport for three out of the out of the four seasons in the year. That's taking one season off. Usually. It's the winter uh, season, but they're going to be working out during that. It could cost anywhere from fifteen to $25,000 a year just for equipment, for registrations, for travel. And that doesn't even include the hotels for the family when they go away and the food. So the, the things that are happening today are just scary. And when you look back at when you and I were younger and, you know, listening to Rob about genetics and, and, and the genes, I read that book, fantastic book. 
And like you said, the, the Russians and the East Germans were doing it years and years ago, but I think they were more into the, the enhancement drugs, like you were saying, not really looking at the genes on who's doing what. But and, you know, what's going to benefit. So here's, here's the thing, Jack, and I'm listening to you, and, and, and I, I think the one common denominator in all this is that all the, the coaches, all the athletes, being competitive, that's in their DNA, and, of course, the parents, they all are looking for some sort of advantage, some sort of edge that's going to propel them to a oh, higher yeah. level. And, and that's what's driving all this. So if it's going to cost me more to have my kid in some sort of super elite travel or club team, I'll pay it. I mean, I may take the money out of the kids' college fund or, or my 401k, whatever it might be, but I'm going to pay this because I think my kids got a shot. That's just that's a bad idea, but I that's mean, what parents do. The, the, the fact that with, you know, the kids today, they say, you mentioned a $600 baseball bat. $600. Oh, my I God, hope, man. I hope the, hope the bat comes with some sort of guarantee that it's going to make solid contact. <laughs> With the pitch, the guy—the I mean, guy who probably sold it to him said there's probably two hits in it every game. So you know, <laughs> but the point is, what, what you're talking about is that if a parent is willing to spend that kind of money on a bat, don't you think they're going to start doing genetic testing and yes. and, and things like I, that? I mean, I, I you think... know, like you said, and it's all about money and advantage and entitlement. You know, you talked about the clubs. I mean, look what colleges are doing today. They're more into the club teams than they are the high school sports anymore well, so what's that going to do to high school sports I, I and i mentioned it's, i also made a passing scary. too uh, and jack th- thank you as always for your insights this is good stuff appreciate it very much thank you uh and and jack you know brings a lot of good uh insight to this conversation i do want to mention too that you know with colleges we focus so much these days, of course, on, on the big revenue sports like college football and college basketball in particular. But for the most part, most colleges lose money when it comes to, to uh, their sports programs. And the administrators and, and the college uh, you know, faculty, they sort of say, well, I mean, is this really what we want to do, spending all these money on these other programs that just don't – they make it nice for the other student-athletes who want to pursue other sports – besides football and basketball, but they all lose money. So you begin to see already very quietly more and more colleges are, uh, are deciding that they're not going to offer these sports. They, uh, they have to be very careful not to run afoul of, of Title IX concerns. But basically they're, they're sort of saying, you know, we're just going to offer just a few sports that we know we can actually make some money off of. Otherwise, the rest of the sports, if you want to play, if you want to do something in college, you know, uh, well – you know, just just be on the, the local uh, college club team, which is basically, it's more than intramurals, but it's pretty much, my understand, it, it's pretty much financed by the kids themselves to basically say, okay, I'm going to go out and, and be on this club baseball team or club ice hockey team, whatever. It's not, it's not basically sanctioned by the school. It's just a club sport. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more of. So if you want to play sports in college, the chance, what I'm saying is the opportunity is going to get smaller and smaller. It's as simple as that. Okay, let me take a time out. When I return, we'll talk more about this exciting and, quite frankly, dangerous topic. one 337 This is The Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. 
We're talking this morning about what the next 10 years, the next decade is going to bring forth in terms of uh, sports parenting and amateur sports in this country. And I, judging from the first half hour this morning, a lot of things uh, in people's minds, and I think uh, all this is valid, the real concerns as to how you know, sports are going to be played in this country and how sports parents in particular are going to have to really sort of tiptoe their way through this very, very precarious, uh, you know, uh, field of, of, of making decisions when it comes to the kids playing sports. But before I get back to the calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six, a couple of quick items. First of all, I, I want to do a um, a big push uh, to start uh, the new year about my sports parent parenting videos on YouTube. Uh, there are 20 of these short video tips uh, based upon my observations and insights in this, in this field. Everything from what's the right age uh, to specialize in, in a sport to what are the critically important questions to ask any college recruiter and so forth. All you have to do is, is find YouTube uh, on your computer or your phone and just type in Ask Coach Wolf in the search box and they will come up right away. I, I, I think you'll find them very, hope you'll find them very helpful and, and right to the point. Um, uh, and of course, uh, if you like what you see, uh, please feel free to spread the word and subscribe uh, to the uh, to the channel to uh, Ask Coach Wolf. Uh, it's all free, of course, no cost. That's Ask Coach Wolf on YouTube. Okay, moving on very quickly. I, I do want to take a moment to pay tribute to the passing of Don Larson. Don Larson, of course, well, baseball fans, you know, he had a, a somewhat uh, nondescript major league career as a pitcher. Except for that one shining moment in Game 5 of the 56 World Series, Larson, as you know, was perfect that afternoon. And, and, and there's something, there's an important lesson that I want to make sure that isn't overlooked about Larson's performance that day. And it has to do with making a key adjustment. I mean, we always hear about athletes and coaches talking about making adjustments to their game. Uh, and it's something I talk about in my book about uh, the secrets of sports, uh, secrets of sports psychology revealed about what making adjustments is all about. In fact, my dad used to tell me that Larson made an, a critically important adjustment to his pitching mechanics just a couple of weeks before that World Series game. And in short, after always using a full windup uh, in his delivery to the plate. Larson experimented and started to pitch without a full windup. And for whatever reason, that change in his delivery had a most powerful impact. He had much greater control of his pitches. He found he could really pinpoint his stuff. And that the adjustment he made a few weeks before that perfect game worked big time. In fact, here, here's, how, here's how my dad called that last pitch of that amazing game. Larson is ready, gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three. A no-hitter, a perfect game for Don Larson. Yogi Berra runs out there. He leaps on Larson, and he's swarmed by his teammates. Listen to this crowd roar. The first World Series no-hitter, a perfect performance by Don Larson. i got to tell you, folks, uh, that was really... That was just a perfect call for a, a perfect game. And again, it's all about making adjustments in sports, and Larson clearly made that critically important adjustment to his windup, and it resulted in, in just a, a singular game for the ages. Okay, let's get back to our topic this morning of what's going to happen to youth and amateur sports in the next decade. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Mary out in Long Island who's been waiting patiently. Mary, good morning. 
You're next up on the fan. Good morning and happy new year. You too. And thank you. Thank you for the uh, tribute to Don Larson. Yes. And to your dad. Thank you. Really nice. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we're involved in a doomsday scenario and, um, we really need to take control of this situation in any way that we can. Um, I have a question that shows my naivete, so please excuse me, or my, well, my lack of understanding about some programs that are involved outside this country. Um, I do know that um, Major League Baseball especially has been impacted greatly by um, players who are coming from um, the Caribbean area, Latin America, Um, and correct me if I'm mistaken, there are programs down there to help those kids become involved and participate and learn the sport, correct? Well, in the Caribbean countries, obviously, where baseball is is the top sport, uh, most, most of the major league teams have now sort of put together a foothold, and they have what they call academies, which are very popular, let's say, in the Dominican Republic, places like that, uh, Venezuela. So basically, Major League Baseball has come in to fit that need. Most of these countries, don't, they don't have a so-called national uh, program to help uh, younger players because they don't need to do that because so many, so many of the Major League teams are already there in place. Uh, is, is that what you're asking? Yes. Now, and then my, my next question you already answered, um, if Major League Baseball does that there, um, I assume that they feel, Major League Baseball, that, oh, American kids have access to great educations, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But you've been talking over the past few weeks, and I've learned a lot, that the schools are not necessarily the place where the kids are going to get the opportunities anymore. It's It's the parents having to pay for the club, the travel teams. Um, is Major League Baseball doing anything for the average American kid? And if not, why not? And I, I don't know if, you know, you can speak your opinion on that, but um, it's just troubling to me. It's like, wow, this is a sport that was the, it is the great American pastime, and yeah. American kids are being passed over, in my opinion. Mary, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact is that Major League Baseball will run some commercials on TV about, uh, you know, very, very glitzy, glamorous, uh, very uh, enthusiastic commercials about getting kids to play ball and so on and so forth. And they have a website about instruction. uh, But Major League Baseball, to my best of my knowledge, does not go out and try to really set up programs uh, or help uh, uh, local programs. I think they defer uh, to a large extent to Little League Baseball. They think Little League Baseball is, is the main is the name of the game with youth kids. But as I, I, as I said about, oh, maybe eight months ago on my show, I, I think the time has now risen where in this country, if your kid wants to go on and play baseball at a higher level, then uh, he's going to have to uh, play on a travel team by the time they're nine or ten, because otherwise they're just not going to get enough instruction, enough playing time, enough repetition to be able to advance to to get to even a, a good high school program. So 
I'm not really quite sure why Major League Baseball hasn't taken this, uh, you know, a bigger step forward. Uh, I know they have, obviously, um, some programs for inner-city kids, but you're not really aware of them being out there doing things that, for example, Little League is doing or trying to do, or even, as I say, the more reputable travel programs. It is a concern, and to that point, Mary, I will tell you, in fact, that's one of the things I was going to mention next, I think we're at a point now in this country, not just with baseball. Mary, thank you for the call this morning. I appreciate your thoughts. My sense is that, you know, there was a time where the United States just pretty much dominated all sports all over the world. Uh, You know, you think about back in the 90s and the basketball and the dream team, stuff like that. But, you know, the earth has, uh, has become flat when it comes to sports. And whatever advantage we had as, as a country in the last uh, 20, 30 years, those are gone. Clearly, Major League Baseball, I mean, or, or baseball in, in other countries from the Caribbean to, 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 uh, to Asia, to Australia, I mean, they've all caught up to us. And in many cases, they have now surpassed us. It's as simple as that. Uh, same with basketball. Um, you name the sport, and the problem is, you know, the world has caught up to us. And in most of those countries... <clears throat> Excuse me. Most of those countries have programs in place that are run by by the government. We don't have that in the United States. I think that's a huge, huge concern. Let's move on. Let's go to Pat over in Nyack. Hey, good. Hello. Hey, before I just make my point, um, your little Don Larson thing. One of the most amazing things about it, you might not even realize that you said afternoon. And they just don't have afternoon games anymore. I remember as a kid, the, kid, the teachers, I'm 59, but I remember the teachers, the cool teachers, they'd have the game on. Yes. And that's, uh, they had the game on, you know, uh, during class, which I thought was pretty cool. It made me think they were cool. Like, wow, he's a real person. But anyway, um, well, I, I'm a teacher. I, I'll tell you, Pat, I mean, there was a time in this country, speaking about Major League Baseball, you know, I also had that same experience is that, you know, when the World Series was on, uh, the day games, I mean, the, the really cool teachers would have, and again, this sounds like I'm going back to the days of Thomas Edison, not that old, but, you know, they'd have transistor radios where you could listen to the game. I, I remember the Mets in, in uh, what was it, 72, when they lost, um, I'm trying to think what, yeah, that was when they lost to the uh, to the A's, but I remember the teachers in like thinking, wow, Mr. Press <laughs> is cool, he's got the radio on, I think I maybe like him, he's, he's my, Maybe he's not that bad of a guy, you know? It's funny. But um, anyway, to make my point, real quick, real quick. I, I'm a, uh, just talking about how, you know, um, I remember they used to talk about how, like, you know, hey, everybody hates the USSR, but at least every kid gets a chance to be in the gymnastic program or whatever. And then you look at those sports like a gymnast, face it, kid isn't going to the Olympics unless their parents have a lot of money. And um, the other thing, too, is even the driving. I'm, uh, I'm not a parent. I'm an uncle. And, I mean, a lot of my, my nephews and nieces don't play because my, my sisters can't drive all the driving. That's just – that's not even the money. And now you go I'm – a, I'm a teacher in a, in a suburb. And um, this whole thing with club sports, these, some of these sports that were just like, you know, like, like wrestling. Okay, I, I was a wrestling coach. I don't coach anymore. But some of these kids go to these academies – and those are the only kids going to the next level. If you're not going to that academy, and now take some kid who maybe his coach isn't that great, maybe the coach didn't wrestle in college, and they don't have the bucks to go to those academies. And um, I'm actually in Rockland, so a lot of the wrestlers over here um, can't get over at the academies are in Westchester. So that's a huge thing. So, like, other sports that were not money sports are becoming money sports. And the other thing, too, is – uh, a lot of these coaches, that's just another uh, its another revenue flow for them because they have this uh, club thing and, hey, you know, they really got to do that or they're going to, you know, and that's a, that's a conflict of interest too because well, you got he, a coach who's a 
Pat, as I say, this, all these things you point to, of course, we have uh, we've discussed on the show in, in years past, and I think it's only going to get worse in the years to come. I mean, let's face it. Uh, yeah, there's always there are already people talking about, well, you know, the, the, the growing disparity, discrepancy between the haves and have-nots. If your kid wants to advance in sports, he or she has to have the wherewithal, the financial background to be in a club team. And being in a club team, as we all know, you have to pay just to be on the team. All the other extraneous expenses, like driving to practice or having a parent drive you there, go on the road to tournaments, uh, you know, meals, hotels, that's not covered by the travel team. That's covered by the parents. So this, this you know, and if a but if a family has more than one child doing this, involved in club sports, it gets very, very pricey and very, very expensive very, very quickly. And that's a real major concern. Very clicky, too. It's a whole different culture than when I was in school, where you basically, you stayed after, you went to practice, you took the 5 o'clock bus home. <laughs> you know, everything was from the school, you know. Well, unfortunately, those days are now just a distant memory, and unfortunately, this is what we're looking at here. As I said, it's only going to get more complicated. Hey, Pat, thank you. Thank you for checking in today. Much appreciated. You know, and this is what we're talking about here, and this is what's going to happen. It's only going to get more complicated, more complex. And, you know, Mary had mentioned a couple of callers before about the fact that how come other, other countries – seem to take a, uh, more of a uh, concerted role in helping to, to finance the, the athletes who show promise. Yeah, I don't understand why we don't do that. We've talked about this many times on the air about why can't we get the federal government to help the kids, especially those kids who come from financially disadvantaged backgrounds. Why can't we do this? Why can't we align all these things, uh, the club teams, the travel teams? Why can't we get all get aligned with uh, some sort of federal government? Now, I understand, of course, you could say, oh, the federal government, you know, who wants to get involved in that bureaucracy? But we've got to do something because we are – we are looking at things that get very, very pricey uh, and very difficult for the average family to have to deal with. That is a huge, huge concern. And I, I don't really know where we go from here, except that it's going to be complicated. All right, let me take another, another time out. When I return, I'll try to get some more calls. Stay with me. And welcome back to the Sports Edge. We've been talking about what's going to happen over the next 10 years when it comes to amateur and youth sports. And uh, we've had some really good calls this morning. Talking, of course, about the fact that genetics, uh, genetic testing is going to play an even important, or I should say a bigger role in terms of our you know, kids and sports parents and what they want for their kids to achieve. Uh, that's uh, on the frontier, and, and who knows how that's going to play out, but it's out there. Uh, the fact that travel teams, if anything, are going to become even more powerful uh, when it comes to uh, our kids. And if you want to have a kid progress in sports, they will have to be in a travel team by the time they're 9 or 10. Uh, you know, we do need a, some sort of a commissioner uh, for youth sports in this country, uh, that's going to have to take shape hopefully sooner rather than later. So parents have an idea of what they can do and look to forward in terms of their kids in sports. Um, and I do think there's going to be a growing trend to see fewer and fewer uh, intercollegiate sports uh, just because the, the, the cost is rising, uh, and with the exception of football and basketball and maybe you know, lacrosse or maybe ice hockey. Most of the sports uh, are going to be just club sports. When you get to college, it's as simple as that. Okay, let's try to squeeze in some more calls. As promised, let's go to Louie over in Lindbrook. Hey, Louie, good morning. You're on the fan. Happy New Year to you. Rick. You too, Louie. <laughs> uh, I actually have two points. One is uh, insurance premiums are skyrocketing. They're yes. becoming too expensive for the high schools to maintain football teams. Correct. 
So maybe they're going to have to combine together. And my second point is that if a kid gets hurt in one of these programs with the insurance premiums being so high, are, are, are people going to be able to cover these kids once they become injured? You're talking about high school programs? Yes. Yeah, I, I, and we mentioned this the other day, uh, last week on the show, I do think that uh, it hasn't gotten much uh, discussion yet, but clearly athletic directors and school boards uh, at, at schools are thinking, you know, concussions, uh, the insurance premiums are getting more and more expensive, uh, and concussions obviously are not going away. Uh, I do think, especially at the, the smaller high schools first, where money is really strapped, they're going to start saying, you know, maybe the time has come uh, to just basically not have football anymore. Or to combine, if kids really want to play football, and there's only a handful of kids in the school who do want to play football, we can combine with another high school or even two high schools. They do this uh, routinely uh, with ice hockey programs, but I do think uh, high school football is on the verge of just being basically becoming extinct because not because of the, the kids, and we know there's, there's a drop in enrollment, but because of the insurance cost. And don't forget that, you know, there, there are concussions in all different sports as well, but football leads the way, and I do think, uh, Louis, that's going to be a real problem uh, down the road. Yeah, but, and also I think that maybe instead of playing uh, the football games physically, maybe they're going to be playing them on computers the way the future presents itself. Well, that's also a possibility as well, and you know we haven't talked much about obviously e-games. It's it's a it's a now become a fait accompli. E-games are here to stay. They're not going away. Kids love them, uh, and, and they're, they're going to be here. Um, I guess the next – and maybe this already happens with, with e-games. Maybe the analytics are already part of that uh, process, but maybe analytics is the next chapter when it comes to video games and e-games, and we say oh, that plays out with kids. But kids love uh, – and parents too. I mean, all love instant gratification with our skill level, but certainly e-games fill that need and fill it quite nicely – and it's a lot easier to say, I'd rather just pick up my, my, my Xbox and, and, and play an e-game than have to go out and work on my skills on shooting basketballs or, or fielding ground balls or throwing strikes or whatever it might be. It, it, those traditional sports do take a lot of time, a lot of practice, and a lot of effort. And quite frankly, there's a lot of uh, disappointment involved in order to, to get, become you know, skilled at those sports, as opposed to saying, I can just play a, pick up my, my, uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, my e-game controls and console and, and do that. As simple as that. Louie, thank you for the call as always. Good talking to you. Let's go quickly over to, uh, to Peter over in New Jersey. Peter, good morning. You're on the fan. Okay, let's, I guess we lost Peter. Let's go to Tom. Tom, you're up next. you got about a minute. Go for it, Tom. All right, one minute. Yes, sir. I nominate you for sports star. That's the first thing. Okay. Nobody has more time in addressing this youth problem with sports than you. Well, No one knows more than you. And that you're going in the right direction because I'll bet you within the next 10 years, High school sports will be, will not be part of the program. There isn't any money for them. Tom, they I have won't. to tell you, 
I got to tell you, uh, yes, I've been involved in, in uh, sports parenting for many, many years, and uh, yeah, obviously is, and thank you for the very kind thoughts. I'd like to talk about the problems and hopefully present some sort of solutions here. I do agree with you. Uh, high school sports in this country are, are really at, at a crossroads because they're going to have to figure out how do we do this if we want to survive uh, because the, the impact of travel – and club teams continues to just uh, escalate and grow, and parents feel, you know, I can just go through this, and, and my kid can play in a travel team, which is what I want in the first place. So why even bother having them play high school sports? That's a real issue which is going to be resolved at some point over the next 10 years. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Brian Rascona. Please stick around for JJ. He's up next. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Sports Edge. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.